Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Three, two, one. But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 5. Season of the podcast. It is Speaking America, the Antwerp Sports Podcast. It is Monday, July 25th. 2022 people i hope everybody's doing well i hope everybody is having a great day i hope everybody's ready for a fun monday edition of the Aerator sports podcast here is what you need to know about today's show we are going to open we got some news out of knoxville tennessee on friday tennessee some wild ncaa violations committed under former head football coach jeremy pruitt we discuss everything what happened what i think What's next for Jeremy Pruitt, but also what's next for Tennessee? Is it possible because of how aggressive they move, how quickly they fired Jeremy Pruitt and his staff? Could Tennessee actually be okay in all this? I think it's an interesting conversation. From there, an update on a couple other stories. One, Gigi Jackson, number one high school player in America. He and DJ Wagner in whichever order. I told you a week ago, he decommitted from North Carolina, that he would eventually recommit to South Carolina, reclassify and play college basketball next year that became official this weekend we discussed that why I don't really think it changes much for South Carolina everyone's trying to make this into a story for South Carolina I just don't see it and finally we wrap my mortal enemy JJ Reddick did you see what Jerry West said about JJ Reddick this weekend we have the sound and if you think Torres went hard on JJ Reddick you ain't seen nothing yet. So fun episode today. Uh, last week of July, I cannot believe that we are here. Uh, make sure you're paying attention. College football is coming. We got a couple big announcements coming from Aaron Torres Media, the Aaron Torres Podcast. So make sure you're locked in. Obviously, be subscribed. Make sure you're following. Busy couple weeks ahead. Fun couple weeks ahead. And it is almost go time. But with that said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, I'll just say this. You know where it's coming from. It is coming from Rocky Top, Tennessee, uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. It is always something at Tennessee. I remember when I started my career, uh, you know, a decade or so ago. uh, I think it was like late in the Derek Dooley era, maybe early in the Butch Jones era. But I remember kind of coining a phrase, it's always something at Tennessee. There is always something going on at Tennessee. Uh, Well, yeah, that was certainly the case on Friday when we got the notice of allegations involving the former head coach of Tennessee football, 
Jeremy Pruitt. You may remember this story from about a year and a year and a half ago. I think everybody does. Um, This was the story where Jeremy Pruitt, the head coach, and his assistant coaches were accused of, of, of giving recruits cash in McDonald's bags. Well, that might not have happened. But just about everything else did because, again, on Friday we got the notice of allegations, which is the NCAA's official document telling us after the investigation what Jeremy Pruitt and his staff was accused of. And let me tell you this, it is a doozy. There is an awful lot to discuss. So this is what I want to do. I'm, first of all, I'm just going to tell you what happened. I'm going to give you my reaction to the stuff that Jeremy Pruitt is accused of. And then we'll get into what the future is for Jeremy Pruitt, but more importantly, Tennessee, because I think Tennessee actually did a very good job of kind of distancing themselves from the head coach immediately. And you'll see why when I get into it. But I think they actually did a pretty good job of distancing themselves. And I believe that Tennessee may actually be okay because of the fact that they were so quick to react, so quick to get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. But first of all, let's just get into what happened and what was in this report because it was absolutely incredible. So the notice of allegations comes down, and again, that is the NCAA's official document telling the school what they found after an NCAA investigation. Well, what they found was 18 level one violations. Okay, that is an insane amount of, of, of NCAA rules violations. Remember, uh, and we've talked, by, by the way, about a ton, a million different uh, NCAA rules uh, investigations, especially surrounding the uh, FBI case in college basketball. But 18 level one violations. Level one are the worst of all violations. Tennessee had 18 of them. So 18 level one violations, including the 18, included in the 18 level one violations is this. Jerry Pruitt and his staff paid recruits upwards and over $60,000 in cash payments for all sorts of stuff. Now, I will say, because Tennessee fans want me to clarify this, there was some very serious stuff that was taken care of. Uh, there were some medical bill payments and stuff like that. It's not as though it was all, you know, whatever. But there was also some car payments involved. There were some, also some rent payments involved. So let's not pretend as though Tennessee was not kind of acting in and out of, uh, you know, outside of the NCAA jurisdiction. By the way, I'm going to tell you in a minute why this is very different from NIL for people who will just say, oh, it's the NIL. Who cares? NIL is here now. What does it matter? Well, it, it, it's, it's pretty different. So let's get into that. The third thing that uh, Tennessee is accused of on top of the 18 level one violations, including Jeremy Pruden and his staff paying $60,000. How about this? Because I have never heard of this before. Jeremy Pruitt's wife, his wife, until death do us part, that lady, the lady that stood up on the podium with him and had probably held hands and they cried and they shared that special moment with their family, she was accused of giving over $12,000 to recruits in 25 different payments. So it wasn't only Jeremy Pruitt. It wasn't only his staff. His wife also was handing out money. And then finally, and I do think this is important in terms of the 18 level one violations, we're going to get into why this is important in a minute. But if you remember, there was about a one and a half year stretch where colleges could not have recruits on campus for visits during COVID. Really started in March of 2020 when the world shut down and the NCAA didn't allow recruits back on campuses until uh June of 2021 because they believed it was a public safety matter, Uh, can't have kids on campus, can't have kids traveling on planes, blah, 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 this and that. Well, Tennessee decided that that rule didn't apply to them, 
and nine different weekends they hosted recruits on campus. So that is what Tennessee did. $60,000 cash payment, $12,000 from Jeremy Pruitt's wife, recruits on campus during COVID, totaling 18 level one violations. Let me get to some quick reaction before we get to what it means for Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee. My first reaction when I heard this, 18 level one violations. I'll say this, I have never heard of anything even close to that, okay? Now I will say, Football's different than basketball. I get it. There's more people involved. There's more, obviously, assistant coaches. There's more recruits that you're recruiting. More recruits lead to more parents. I get all that. More players on your individual roster. 18 level one violations is basically unheard of. Okay, so for comparison's sake, Will Wade, who the media has turned into a pariah. They've basically turned him into Al Capone uh, in basketball shorts. Will Wade was accused of of five level one violations. Bill Self, who I have criticized uh, relentlessly on this podcast in Kansas basketball, were accused of five level one violations. Jerry Pruitt was accused of 18 level one violations. I've never even heard of anything like that. It's like, uh, you know, guys were running the the mile in in four minutes and and 40 seconds, and then some guy runs it in under four minutes, and you're like, how did that happen? That's unbelievable. So we have that element of it. What I will also say, maybe I've missed this in previous NCAA investigations. I have never heard of a wife being involved in, Jeremy Pruitt had his wife dropping bags. He had his wife dropping bags. He had his wife sneaking around under the cloak of darkness, dropping off briefcases full of cash under park benches. I have never heard of that before. Even Will Wade, again, Al Capone in basketball shorts. That's how we treat Will Wade. I mean, he may have opened a bank account in his wife's name, but she kept her, you know, she he kept her out of it. Jeremy Pruitt had his wife running bags. I've never heard of that. Oh, by the way, you want to know the ironic part about that? Apparently, Jeremy Pruitt met his wife at Florida State. He was an assistant coach. She was working in compliance. Compliance is the office that makes sure the coaches are not breaking NCAA rules. Well, apparently, you know, she, she got out of the compliance game and she, started, she, she, she turned heel. Unbelievable. I actually saw an interview she did like when Jerry Pruitt got the Tennessee job. She said, you know, I love being around these kids. I love being around their families. I'm as much of a recruiter as he is. The exact quote was, I think he married me because I'm such a good recruiter. Uh, yeah, apparently you are. I mean, you, you kind of have dirt under your fingernails here. You get busted, but apparently you are. I, in some ways, I respect the woman because when, when she said in sickness and in health until death do us part, that woman was not lying. So shout out to Jeremy Pruitt's wife dropping bags. My third reaction, and this is kind of serious. The COVID stuff is serious. Like, I, I want to take a second and step back. And I think everybody kind of knows where I stand on COVID. And, and, and we've talked about this relentlessly, endlessly on this show. Endlessly is the right word. But at the same time, this is a major, 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 major rules violation. And it was just a dumb idiotic rules violation. First of all, it's a major rules violation because we can joke about COVID now. We can say that, that maybe we all overreacted. I know that I didn't because you guys listened to this show. I was 100% transparent with you from the beginning. But we can go back to March and April and May, June of, of, of 2020 and say that people overreacted, people this, people that. But as a general rule, I do think most schools, most coaching staffs actually took this rule seriously. 
They actually kind of said, look, this whole situation sucks, but we are all in this together. And we're not, nobody's going to have recruits on campus. So the fact that Jeremy, Co- Jeremy Pruitt, it's almost like, remember the old show, How I Met Your Mother? I'm rewatching that right now uh, with my wife. There was the bro code. Well, this was the coach's code. It's like, look, this sucks for all of us, but none of us are going to have kids on campus. And for the most part, outside of Arizona State, which we're going to talk about in a second, I don't think anybody, nobody else has been proven to have broken this rule. And so one, I think that's why there's pretty much going to be zero sympathy for Jeremy Pruitt going forward, not only publicly, but privately in the football community. But what I would also say, and this this boggles my mind, and it boggled my mind with Arizona State, for people who have not followed the Arizona State investigation, they're accused of the same thing, multiple weeks, multiple recruits on campus, paid for by the school at a time when the school was not allowed to bring recruits on campus. It's just dumb. It's just dumb dumb and that's why I have zero sympathy for Herm Edwards when the axe eventually falls on him and I'll have zero sympathy for Jeremy Pruitt at the end of the day look let me say this even in the pre-NIL era when guys got caught paying players I I don't want to say I was sympathetic but I understood right because I I, the idea kind of behind it was well you know everybody else is paying people so we got to do it to keep up with the Joneses it might not be right. It might be against the rules, whatever. But at the same time, a lot of people felt like they had to do it to keep up. But bringing kids on campus when nobody else is doing that is just dumb because you're getting an advantage over Like, there's no reason that you need to get that advantage. It's not like if you don't bring kids on campus, Georgia or Florida or Michigan or Ohio State is doing it. So I don't understand why Jerry Pruitt did this, and I do think this is going to be a big part of what the eventual punishment is. And finally, let me say this before we get to Pruitt in Tennessee. Can we stop with the, well, I mean, $60,000 in the NIL era. It, uh, they shouldn't even be punished. It doesn't even matter. We have guys making millions of dollars as college players, and we're going to freak out over $60,000. That is so idiotic, and let me explain why, okay? Yes, we live in a world with NIL. Yes, we live in a world where Kirby Smart said last week that all 95 of his players have made some some form of NIL money. Yes, we live in a world where Nick Saban said, yes, Bryce Young cleared over a million dollars last year as the starting quarterback at Alabama. Yes, we live in a world where, let's be honest, Oscar Shibway, as the reigning national player of the year at Kentucky, will probably clear millions of dollars as a college basketball player. But that is NIL. Never in any era ever not 10 years ago, not 50 years ago, not right now. Can coaches just pay people out of their pockets? And so this idea, oh, it's, it's, just, it's the NIL world. No, it's not even remotely the same thing. NIL, Bryce Young doing a, an Old Spice commercial is a lot different than Jeremy Pruitt and his wife paying people out of their pockets. And so now the question becomes, what's next, right? So that's what happened. That's just my harebrained reaction. The big question now is what is next for Jeremy Pruitt in Tennessee? Well, from Jeremy Pruitt's perspective, I'll just say this. That guy is screwed. And like I just said a minute ago, I actually feel zero sympathy for him. There are times with these NCAA investigations where I do feel bad for the primary figure involved. Like I said, sometimes you feel pressure. Sometimes you break a rule because you think other people are doing it. Sometimes, you know, you get busted for handing out a couple hundred bucks because a kid needs a new suit or a kid needs a, uh, you know, a medical whatever or his parents or this or his parents want to take a, a visit just to see their kid. That is not what Jeremy Pruitt is accused of doing. 
What Jeremy Pruitt is accused of doing is egregiously and recklessly breaking the rules. $60,000 to recruits is not, uh, you know, helping mom and dad get, you know, giving them gas money to get to a home game. $60,000 is not that at all, plus the wife was involved, multiple staff members, and again, the COVID stuff, I'm not Mr. like, uh, you know, the world is such a scary place, everybody hide from COVID. But that, that to, you can't do that when everybody in the NCAA, everybody in college football is playing by the same rules, and it's not once, it's not twice, nine different weekends you hosted recruits. Whatever punishment Jeremy Pruitt gets, and it's going to be big, trust me, he totally deserves it because he just, it wasn't one, you know, it wasn't one kid that wanted to see the dining hall. It wasn't one kid that wanted to see the chemistry building. Nine different weekends. So I have zero sympathy for this guy, and I'll tell you this. I fully expect that this is probably the last time we ever talk about Jeremy Pruitt on this podcast. I don't think he'll ever coach college football again. The NCAA, I believe, is going to come down crazy hard on Jeremy Pruitt and make Jeremy Pruitt, rightfully, by the way, I know Tennessee fans are waiting, what does it mean for our program? Rightfully, I think Jeremy Pruitt's going to be the fall guy here. Because Jeremy Pruitt's the one that did everything. He was dumb about it. He got caught. And we're talking about multiple violations, 18 level one violations. The longest show cause I've ever seen, show cause is basically an NCAA suspension where they basically tell a guy, you can't work for this number of time for in college athletics. I've never seen a show cause longer than 10 years. But I think he gets a 10-year show cause where the NCAA basically says, you can't work in college athletics. We can't have you working in college athletics after all the stuff that you just pulled at Tennessee over the last couple years. And so Jeremy Pruitt, who is now, if my math is correct, let's take a quick look according to Wikipedia, he's 48 years old. I think he's done in college athletics forever. Now, last year he worked in the NFL. He wasn't retained by the New York Giants. Obviously, they made a change to their coaching staff. So I don't know what his future is. I've heard stuff about maybe him returning to high school football. I don't know, but he's never coached college football again. I can tell you that much. But with Tennessee, and this is the important part, and this is what matters, I weirdly think, I don't want to say Tennessee's going to be okay, but I think Tennessee's in kind of an interesting spot where the NCAA is going to be somewhat, I believe, sympathetic to them. What you have to understand about the NCAA as it currently exists, and we all know it might not exist very much longer, but as it currently exists, really over the last couple years, they have made it a priority that when it comes to handing down punishments to individual schools, individual coaches, individual players, they do not want to punish players and coaches that had nothing to do with what, hap- with what happened, right? So when Louisville basketball eventually gets hit with a punishment, I think that they're going to be pretty lenient on Louisville because the, 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 the investigation happened under Rick Pitino. There are two coaches removed from Rick Pitino now. The AD's gone, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same with Arizona. Arizona took a postseason ban. They fired Sean Miller. I think it's kind of over and done with. I think Sean Miller might get a short suspension, which he talked about on this podcast. I'm not breaking any news. He said he expects that. But I don't think Arizona's going to get killed because they already they fired the coach, they punished themselves, on and on and on and on and on. And so when you look at this Tennessee situation, what is very interesting about Tennessee specifically, they were very proactive in helping the NCAA every step of the way. 
Essentially, it was an internal NCAA investigation, again, courtesy of our buddy Trey Wallace, who was on, from OutKick, who talked about this on this podcast a few weeks ago. Now, part of it was, I think that, that once they found out that rules were being broken, they wanted to fire Jeremy Pruitt with cause so they didn't have to pay him $13 million buyout. So I don't want to absolve Tennessee here. But to their credit, they were very smart, they were very proactive, and they were very aggressive in not only getting rid of Jeremy Pruitt, getting rid of his staff, getting rid of whatever, but also punishing themselves. First of all, I do think it's important the Tennessee uh, Chancellor, Dondi Plowman, released a statement on Friday. She said, in every step of this process, we took quick and decisive actions that exemplified the longstanding values of the NCAA reiterated in the membership's new constitution. The university hired outside counsel to fully investigate allegations about the football program acted promptly to terminate the employment of football coaches and staff members and shared our conclusions with NCA enforcement staff. So what the chancellor basically just told you is this. Once we found out something was going on, we immediately went into investigation mode. We immediately fired Jeremy Pruitt, the head coach. We immediately fired his entire coaching staff. And oh, by the way, Phil Fulmer, who was the athletic director at the time, was immediately removed from office and was not allowed to continue to be the athletic director. I think I said office, he's not really a, a paid politician. He's not a politician. Uh, but you know what I mean. Phil Fulmer's removed, Jeremy Pruitt's removed. And so now, I think that when you factor all that in, you factor in, and I should mention this, this is important. The worst thing that a school can be hit with in an NCAA investigation is a lack of institutional control. Tennessee was not hit with a lack of institutional control. And so because of that, I tend to think that they're going to be okay. They also put in some recruiting restrictions. I believe I saw something about 12 fewer scholarships that, they, that were reduced. So they punished themselves. They fired the coach. They fired the AD. They put in recruiting restrictions, and we'll find out. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed. With the NCAA, you never know. And because this, this might be one of the last NCAA investigations we ever see, uh, as college sports is changing rapidly, uh, I don't think I'm the first or 10th or 20th person to tell you, I don't know if the NCAA exists in three to five years. But I do think that when you factor in how Tennessee handled things, how they immediately got rid of Jerry Pruitt, immediately got rid of Phil Fulmer, the fact that even the actual notice of allegations did not include a lack of institutional control, I think that's a good thing for Tennessee. Now, it's worth noting, as I always do with these um, investigations, Tennessee has 90 days to respond. Um, nothing is going to happen this football season. We're not going to find out any conclusions now. I mean, think about some of these FBI cases that have still been going on four or five years. But I do think we'll get a conclusion pretty soon. It seems like Tennessee has been working very aggressively with the NCAA. And I can't promise anything, Tennessee fans, but I think the NCAA understands that Jeremy Pruitt was completely out of control, and I don't use that often, but he was completely out of control. He was an egregious rule breaker. That's like the old Dave Chappelle, an egregious line stepper. That was Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, and I would expect the book to be thrown at Jeremy Pruitt, but I do think that Tennessee could end up being okay. I just want to do, do want to take a quick break. Do want to come back? Uh, we will talk a little Gigi Jackson, I think. Gigi Jackson, of course, we talked about a few shows ago. Number one high school player in America. He and DJ Wagner, one in one A. We talked about him officially decommitting from North Carolina, how it seemed as though he was intent on eventually ending up at South Carolina, reclassifying, playing college basketball this year. Well, that happened this week, and we're going to discuss that next, what it means for college basketball, what it means for South Carolina, and if you don't think I'm going to end the show talking J.J. Reddick versus Jerry West, 
you don't know your boy Torres very well. I will be take a quick break. I'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. I uh, do want to switch gears. I do want to talk college hoops. And I really just want to go ahead and update you on a story that we discussed actually last week on the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. It surrounds the number one high school basketball player in America. Well, technically, there's. I'll say this. I've labeled both Gigi Jackson and DJ Wagner the number one player in America. Depending on what recruiting service you look at depends on who they have ranked number one. We talked about DJ Wagner last week. Today, it's about Gigi Jackson, though. Number one high school player in the class of 2023, basketball-wise. And the last time we spoke about him, He had just decommitted from North Carolina, was committed to go to North Carolina, was going to play high school basketball this year, enroll at North Carolina in the spring of 2023. When he decommitted, though, what did we discuss? We discussed not only is he decommitting, but it appears as though we know what is going to happen next in his recruitment. And at the time, the buzz was that he was actually going to commit to South Carolina. He is from the city of Columbia, South Carolina. He was going to commit to his home state and his hometown school, and he was actually going to reclassify and enroll this summer to play this coming year in the fall. Well, on Saturday, it became official. Gigi Jackson announces that he is going to South Carolina. He will play this year. And I just want to kind of give some updated thoughts on that piece of news. And I also kind of want to share some thoughts because I saw a lot of people in the media, people that I respect and like say, say stuff like, well, this changes everything for North Carolina, for South Carolina. Uh, No, it doesn't. And I still definitely have my concerns both about the player and the school. And I don't think this fundamentally changes all that much for South Carolina. First of all, in terms of the kid and the player himself, look, what I would say, and I think if you guys and girls have listened to this show for long enough, you know that I am out of the tell people what to do business, okay? Um, I don't do it at NBA draft time. Oh, you should stay in school. Don't go pro. No, everybody's got to make what decision they deem best for them. Everyone has access to different information. 
Um, and it's the same with high school recruiting. I don't say it's a bad decision. It's a good decision. It's the right decision. It's the wrong decision. But what I would say about Gigi Jackson is what I said last week. It is not the decision that I would make if I was advising him because I do think as somebody who loves college sports, as somebody who loves college basketball, I do think that we have a pretty good track record that in general, decisions like this don't work out. And as I told you last week, this kind of there, there, there's really two things together that are happening here where we kind of have a history that says each of these things don't individually work out. And you put them together, and it could be bad, bad, bad news. Certainly, hopefully not for this kid, but I don't think, again, it it changes much for South Carolina as a program. Now, the first thing that just kind of historically generally is kind of hit or miss, it's the whole idea of reclassifying. It's the whole idea of moving up your clock a year to enroll early in college, basically to skip your senior year of high school to come to college early. The reason people want to do it is because for some players, remember, you have to be one year removed from high school basketball and 19 years old to be eligible for the 2022 for, for, for the NBA draft the following season. And so in Gigi Jackson's case, by coming up a year, it allows him to be eligible for next NBA draft because he will turn 18 later this year, which means he'll turn 19 next year, which means that he'll be eligible for the 2023 NBA draft. That is why players reclassify. But as I repeatedly say on this show, reclassification is totally hit or miss. Now, there have been plenty of players that it worked out really well for, right? Carl Anthony Towns comes to Kentucky. He's probably the face of one of the best regular season teams we've seen in the history of college basketball at Kentucky. Marvin Bagley reclassifies. Fantastic player at Duke for a season. Duke goes deep into the NCAA tournament, goes to the Elite Eight, they lose to Kansas. So there have been success stories. Jalen Duran. I don't think he was drafted quite where he thought he would be or where most of us thought he would be. But he goes to college for one year. He has success. He ends up going in the top 15 of this previous NBA draft after playing last year at Memphis after reclassifying it this time last year. There's also other guys, though, that let's be honest, it has not worked out for. Now, I think Gigi Jackson is a pretty talented guy, but there's plenty of guys that it has not worked out for. Amani Bates, for example. It just did not work. You don't need me to tell you everything that happened at Memphis. It was just not good. He's obviously got to come back. He's now at Eastern Michigan, and I think his career is really in the balance. Devin Askew, if you remember, was a part of 2021, reclassifies, come to Kentucky. It's a complete disaster. He is now on his third school in three years. Christian Lander, number one high school recruit at the point guard position, ends up reclassifying, going to Indiana. It doesn't work out. He transfers to Western Kentucky. I mean, even sometimes when it's not terrible, it's not what you think it's going to be either. There was a kid named Nico Mannion a few years ago. Oh, big hotshot high school player. Goes to Arizona, has minimal impact, uh, barely makes it, and now he's playing overseas about three years after he graduated. So it's totally hit or miss, but if you do look at most of the success stories, most of the guys that do have success are ultimately players that go to schools where there is talent around them. And this is the part that concerns me if you're Gigi Jackson. 17 years old as he gets set to go to South Carolina. And I just don't think most of these guys realize how tough college basketball is. And again, this isn't me criticizing. It's not me saying he made the wrong decision. What I am saying, though, is if you look at the history of players, even if you agree that the reclassification thing, he's not Devin Askew, he's not this, he's not that, he's really talented. 
the number of players who decide to do their own thing, take the uncharted path, and there's nothing wrong with it, but I don't think most players realize how hard it is to carry and elevate a program that is not Duke, Carolina, Kentucky, whatever. Just think about all the players through the years. Anthony Edwards is probably the success story, right? He goes to Georgia, it has no impact on his draft stock because he's awesome. But think about some of the other ones. Markel Fultz, complete disaster. Yes, he goes number one, but it was a disaster at Washington. Ben Simmons basically quits in the middle of the season at LSU. Those are the success stories of the guys that went, tried to do something different. They, it might not have hurt their individual stock, but they didn't win. There's other guys. Patrick Baldwin this past year was a top five recruit, commits to play for his dad at Milwaukee, is completely out of sight, out of mind, ends up being picked in the last few picks of the first round this year, but he's very much a developmental project, and I'm sorry. If he goes to Duke, he isn't falling to 28-29 in the draft. McCour Maker, remember this was the kid a few years ago that went to Howard. How much did you hear about McCour Maker during that season or ever since then? You didn't. And this is the only point I'm trying to make is that it is really hard for any player to do this, and this is why I would not have advised him. Anthony Edwards might be one of the 10 best players in the not maybe not 10 best, but one of the 20 best players in the NBA right now. He's certainly one of the five most exciting. He couldn't get Georgia out of the basement in the SEC. Ben Simmons, I know it's kind of fallen apart since then. He put up historic numbers in college. It meant nothing at LSU. Markel Fultz was pretty good on the court at Washington. Washington finished in last place in the Pac-12. And so I just don't think these players know quite how hard it is. And so to bring it full circle, this is why I can't like get super excited about, uh, about South Carolina this year, right? Like there's this notion of like, oh, this changes everything for South Carolina. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't at all. First of all, South Carolina wasn't, wasn't th th there's a reason this whole situation is going down. Team Stunk, new head coach, why he committed to North Carolina in the first place was because he liked South Carolina under Frank Martin. They changed the coaching staff. He's more comfortable with Carolina. He gets comfortable with the new co coaching staff at South Carolina. But this was a team that went 18 and 13 last year and was basically irrelevant in SEC play. I know they finished 500, but come on. What was your favorite South Carolina basketball moment from the last couple of years? Since they made the Final Four, it really doesn't exist. Well, that team has now lost its top six scores off a team that was 18 and 13. And they've added zero impact transfers. Listen, I have lists and lists and lists, data and data and data of all these transfers, who could be impactful, who isn't. I don't have a single guy in my top 50, top 75 of my, my impact transfers that went to South Carolina. They got some decent players from some mid major, from some high major places. Michi Johnson from uh, Ohio State, uh, Verdonk, the kid from Illinois, but they didn't add any real impact transfers. And they lost their top seven players off a team that didn't top six scores that didn't make it the NCAA tournament last year or even come close. Forgive me for not believing that a 17-year-old is going to go in and make like a major marquee difference. Now, maybe it means they go from being the least talented roster to, I don't know, 12th or 13th. But it's not all that much of a difference. I'll tell you this, forget the top of the league. I think South Carolina is significantly behind most of the middle of the league as well. I don't think they're anywhere close to what Todd Golden has at Florida this year. I don't think they're anywhere close to what Matt McMahon, the new head coach at LSU, has this year. I don't think they're anywhere close to even what Chris Jans, the new head coach at Mississippi State, has. Dennis Gates, the new head coach at Missouri, has added multiple impact tra transfers. 
And those are the middle-of-the-pack teams in the SEC. I'm not even talking about Kentucky with the reigning National Player of the Year, Oscar Shibwe. Arkansas with six top 100 recruits headlined by three McDonald's All-Americans. Um, whatever. Uh, Auburn with, with the talent that they have. Tennessee with the talent that they have. Alabama. I could go on and on. And so this idea that it changes expectations, it's out. no, it doesn't. It makes them more interesting. We'll probably watch them for a game or two because we want to see this kid play. I know from my perspective, because I cover these sports, because I have to talk about the NBA draft, because I have to talk about these kids in so many different lights, yeah, I'll pay attention, I'll watch them, I'll see them, but this doesn't make them a tournament team. This doesn't make them a second weekend team. This doesn't even put them on the level of LSU and Florida, Florida and Mississippi State in the middle of the SEC, let alone the top. So all I will say, I will wrap by saying, I wish this kid nothing but luck. I'm not saying he made the wrong decision. He made the decision that was best for him. But can we stop with the, oh, you know, South Carolina. Oh, you got to watch out for South Carolina. No, you don't. They're still going to stink. Um, and again, if I was him, I would have advised him, wait a year. Don't rush the process. You're only 17 years old. Go to Carolina. Ball out around other good players. That's what I would have done. All right, that's what I do. I do want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. And I do want to talk about my boy J.J. Redick. Woo! Did you see what happened with J.J. Redick? Jerry West. Oh, we are going to discuss that next. I will be right back. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. I do want to wrap another update from another story that we have discussed quite a bit here on the Aerator Sports Podcast. And what I would say to lead this segment is this. In sports, there are many great rivalries. Duke, Carolina. Michigan, Ohio State. Louisville, Kentucky. Red Sox, Yankees. Lakers, Celtics. On and on and on and on and on. But there may be no better rivalry in sports right now than the one that we discuss often on this show, Torres versus J.J. Redick. That is right, my arch enemy was back in the news again this week. And let me just say this. Did you see what Jerry West said about J.J. Redick? Oh, it was a doozy as Jerry West, the logo, one of the greatest players ever, the only man to ever win NBA Finals MVP on a losing team, 
Oh, buddy, did you see what Jerry West said about J.J. Redick? He dunked on him like Michael Jordan in the dunk contest, baby. So let's talk about it and let's discuss it. Before we do, listen, I swear, I'm not going to make this into a segment totally about me. But like, I, I do need to kind of give you some context as to why this story is important to me, why I'm beefing with J.J. Redick, why J.J. Redick blocked me. Um, and then we'll obviously get to the Jerry West quotes. And just it, for those of you who are new to the show, who have never watched, never paid attention, never whatever, there's a reason I end the show by saying shout out to J.J. Redick, you head And the backstory, I'll try to keep it as brief as I can, and then we'll get to what Jerry West said over the weekend. But I think everybody by now remembers all the details if you're not new to this show. That was pretty straightforward. It came during the college basketball, the NCAA tournament. I'm watching the game, some of the games. There's an Elite Eight game featuring Houston and Villanova. And in that game, it's really ugly and low scoring, but that's because Houston and Villanova are two of the most aggressive defensive teams in college basketball. And so I see NBA Twitter getting all worked up. This is why I don't watch college basketball. The defense is so terrible. The offense is so terrible. Blah, 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 blah. And it was at that time, I wasn't even talking to anybody specifically, but I tweeted out something that I didn't really think much of. And all I really said was this. If NBA teams were allowed to play defense, like college teams are, the rules are completely different, then we would see a lot of games in the 70s and 80s in the NBA. And I didn't think much of it, and I put down my phone, and I didn't pay attention, but then a funny thing happened. NBA Twitter went crazy. Because if you've never dealt with NBA Twitter before, you can't say anything bad about the NBA. Perfect league, nothing bad, ever anything happens. The ratings are plummeting, but don't say anything bad about NBA on NBA, NBA Twitter, or you'll get crushed. Of course, the king of, the, of NBA Twitter is J.J. Redick, and when he saw the tweet, this is essentially what he said. I would read you the tweet verbatim, but he blocked me. He sees the tweet, he goes, tell me you don't watch the NBA without telling me you don't watch the NBA. Well, J.J., I do watch the NBA. It's just, I, I, I mean, when you have a high leverage game between two good teams defensively and defense increases, guess what's going to happen? The scoring is going to go down. It's not a controversial take. I didn't think anything of it. I moved on. I didn't really care. I didn't really get into it with J.J. Redick at that time. But then about two weeks later, it's after the Final Four. I'm back in L.A. I'm hanging out. I'm actually doing some work, and my phone starts blowing up. People say, did you see what J.J. Reddick said about you on his podcast? I go, no, I have no idea what J.J. Reddick said about me on his podcast. Well, apparently out of nowhere, he's talking with Kevin Durant, yeah, Katie, and he says, yeah, let me tell you, man, there was this guy, this college basketball reporter, he tried to tell me if teams in the NBA played defense like they did in college, teams would score in the 70s and 80s, what a dummy. And J.J. Reddick gets a laugh, and Katie gets a laugh, and for the most part, I once again kept my mouth shut. I knew the point I was trying to make. I knew I was right. No big deal. Oh, by the way, Kevin Durant, how's your career going? Yeah, nobody wants you anymore, buddy. Maybe you shouldn't have made fun of Torres. But anyway, this isn't about me. So anyway, let's fast forward. NBA playoffs start, and what ends up happening? Defense ramps up. Offense gets tougher. And we saw a lot of games in the 70s and 80s, just like I said was going to happen. And so why I have beef with J.J. Redick is because he called me an F-head on, pod, on his podcast. He turned NBA Twitter against me. And then, as the playoffs went on, and as we saw a lot of games in the 70s and the 80s, I would just tweet at J.J. Redick ever so often saying, Hey, J.J., just don't know if you saw this score, but just wanted to make sure you knew. Celtics scored 79 points tonight. 
Suns scored 81 points tonight. The Heat scored 83 points. I just want to make sure you, sh you saw it. And so after two, three, four times of me just gently reminding J.J. Redick, he decided to block me. He knew I was right. He was not big enough of a man to admit I was right or say I see net your point now. So he just goes ahead and blocks me and whatever. And so normally I wouldn't think much of it. But then over the last couple weeks, let me say this. The geriatric 80-plus crowd is going crazy on J.J. Redick, saying worse things about him than I ever did. So it all started about two, three weeks ago, where on top of the dumb thing that he said to me, on ESPN, somehow at some point, he was asked about players from the early part of the NBA. And what he essentially said was, you can't count anything before 1980. And the exact quote was, Bob Cousy was playing against plumbers and firemen. Now, I've gone over this, and we'll get to it in a minute. I think it's a dumb conversation to compare eras. It's impossible to. But then Bob Cousy came out a few weeks ago and crushed J.J. Redick. But then something else happened this weekend that we absolutely have to talk about. Jerry West, once again, the logo. Certainly one of the greatest players in NBA history. A guy that I'm going to explain in a minute could have played in any era, competed in this era, won at the highest level, scored at the highest level. He was asked about J.J. Redick's quotes about some of his contemporaries, because remember, J.J. Reddick said, anyone who played before 1980 played against plumbers and firefighters. I actually have the soundbite. Here is what Jerry West had to say. J.J. Reddick, current player, who just recently retired, said that Bob Cousy played against uh, firemen and, and plumbers, and Bob came on and, and wasn't too pleased. And, you know, you, you played in that era, and those guys set the table for us. Uh, to be where we are today. And I was just interested in your thoughts on, on comments like that about your generation and the generations that, that paved the way. Well, um, obviously the game is completely different. The athletes are completely different. And I know J.J. Uh, just a little bit. He's a very smart kid and everything. But tell me what his career looked like. What did he do that, was, that determined games? He averaged, what, he averaged 12 points a game in the league? Um, somewhere along the way, numbers count. Oh my God. Did you hear what Jerry West just had to say? Jerry West just basically said to J.J. Reddick, my man, you know those plumbers and firefighters you were talking about? You are the plumber and firefighter of your generation. Jerry West off the top rope. He just took J.J. Reddick and shoved him into a locker. He just took J.J. Reddick and took his face and stuck it in the toilet bowl. Shout out to Jerry West. I didn't know the logo had it in him to murder a man like that on these Twitter streets. That sound, by the way, courtesy of Sirius XM Sports, I believe. What I would say about the sound, <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't help myself. Listen, my whole thing is this guy couldn't even handle me tweeting at him. I can't even imagine how much this guy is stewing in his uh, wherever he lives and he had a successful NBA career so he's probably living in a beautiful house whatever but I mean Jerry West off the top rope that was incredible and what I would say is a few things one first of all Jerry West kind of continued and he kind of basically just said like look come on man you you, you can't compare eras and, and I don't really want to get into it but man he said he what did he ever do he averaged 12 points a game whatever and what I would say about the whole thing listen I, I'll say this is like listen I, I love having fun at JJ's expense because of the fact that, again, you know, rather than just being a man and, and trying to talk out whatever we had, he blocked me. Um, but I do think, like, for starters, like, it's just idiotic to try and compare eras in the NBA. I just think it, it's a dumb thing. 
because what J.J. Reddick's era is going to tell you is you can't compare the size, skill set, athleticism of this era to the 1940s when, in J.J. Reddick's terms, plumbers and firefighters were playing in the NBA. I agree with that 100%. I don't think anybody's sitting there saying the athleticism is better and the skill was better in 1940 than it is right now or 1950 or 1960 or whatever. But why it's dumb to compare is there's also things that players in that era had to deal with that guys in this era can't even think about, right? Just think about Bob Cousy's day, Jerry West's day. I mean, in those days, guys in that league, they traveled by train. They traveled commercial when they were fortunate enough to fly, and some, some of them weren't even fortunate enough to fly. They didn't have personal trainers. They didn't have weightlifting. They didn't have masseuses. They didn't have personal chefs. They didn't have skills coaches. So while the players of, that era, of this era are certainly more skilled, the players of that era had to deal with some stuff that nobody that, that, that the players in this era can't even imagine. Can you imagine telling Kyrie Irving? Oh, by the way, players in Bob Cousy's era had to get a job during the offseason. Can you imagine telling Kyrie Irving, who can't even show up for his job right now? Oh, Kyrie, we need you to go work in the steel mill for a couple weeks during the summertime. Yeah, what do you think would happen to Kyrie? He'd self-combust. Ben Simmons, oh, we need you to play in Chuck Taylor's. And we know you like to travel private, but you're going to take this train from Indianapolis to Chicago and you're going to play at 1 p.m. tomorrow. Or we're going to take a commercial flight out at 6 a.m. and you're going to sit and coach next to Dolores, who, who's a librarian down the street. I don't think Ben Simmons is putting up 29-9-9 and the next day. And so the comparison is dumb, but finally what I would say is this. Jerry West dunked on him, and Jerry West carries weight like I don't think people realize how good Jerry West is and this is what I would say you want to be a new age snob and say oh you know nobody from those eras could play in this era well that's just idiotic Jerry West this stat blows me away in one playoff series Jerry West averaged 46 points per game I don't care what year it is and by the way the athletes in his era were good I mean Wilt Chamberlain is maybe the greatest athlete that's ever been born could have been an Olympic sprinter and hurdler. Go ahead and look that up. That's true. After basketball, Wilt Chamberlain took up volleyball. And many consider him to be the best volleyball player that's ever been born. So don't tell me Wilt Chamberlain wasn't an athlete. Don't tell me Elgin Baylor wasn't an athlete. Don't tell me guys in his era weren't athletes. But Jerry West averaged 46 points per game in a playoff series. You think he couldn't contribute and, and, and be a difference maker in this era? Because I'll tell you this. J.J. Redick, I'm just going to tell you right now. And I'm not saying I'm some basketball star. But I also don't criticize people from a different era. There is no era on planet Earth that J.J. Redick could have averaged 46 points per game in a playoff game. Shout out to Jerry West. My spirit animal, baby. Jerry West just coming after J.J. Redick. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. What a show this was. Jerry Pruitt, J.J. Jackson, and now J.J. Redick versus Jerry West. You ain't getting that kind of range from anywhere else in the podcast space. So thank you guys for your support. It's time for me to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Make sure you're subscribed. We have a lot of big stuff coming up, a lot of big announcements, so you're going to want to tune in for that. Make sure to follow the YouTube page as well, by the way. I will say this. Sometimes we're able to get stuff up on YouTube faster than we are in podcast form. So as an example, uh, there's a kid, Justin Edwards, number three ranked player in high school basketball, is committing Monday night. We'll have reaction on YouTube before we even get it on the podcast. So make sure you find the YouTube channel. If you search Aaron Torres on YouTube, uh, you will find it there. 
But go ahead and make sure to do that. Uh, and if you're not subscribed, make sure to do so. And also, as I said, leave a rating and review. Really does help us kind of move up those iTunes charts, get create awareness for this show. If you can do that, if that's not too much to ask, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, but with that said, I do think it is time for me to get out of here. Uh, so thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure to rate and review. Uh, and make sure to have a good week. July is closing up, and I'll tell you this. We got some big things ahead. By the way, Nick Coffey may be joining me this week. Uh, I am trying to effort Nick Coffey to talk a little bit about DJ Wagner, talk about some Louisville football recruiting. Remember they signed the number one wide uh, corner, uh, running back in the country? That was weird. Nick Coffey may be joining me. Stay tuned for that. Also, a really fun interview on Friday. So Rafer Alston uh, will be joining me. There is a documentary on Showtime this coming Friday, ironically produced by my other enemy, Kevin Durant. Uh, about New York City basketball and Rafer Alston, who was a, a, a basketball star and won mixtape. A really fun, interesting interview with Rafer Alston. That'll be on Friday. But it is time for me to get out of here right now. So I appreciate everybody's support. Uh, yeah, that's all I really got. So with that said, just one thing. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick. What did he ever do in his career? 12 points per game. Stats have to matter at some point. I'll be back on Wednesday. All new episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.